Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. And the thing about Solar City was that it was a huge company, but it always maintained this startup vibe. So during my time there, I really learned how to be part of this large team, but be able to take on multiple responsibilities at the same time. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, welcome back, Solar Warrior. I am thrilled that you've chosen to spend this time with us today. I know you could be doing anything with your time right now, so I hope this investment treats you well. Today's entrepreneur is a young gun, but is no stranger to hustle, and he's proven his grit and worth in the startup world. Mikhail Goffman started GreenThink Energy, a solar design firm, from his graduate school dorm room while pursuing a master's in mechanical engineering at Columbia. Today, his company is doing thousands of designs per month. That's right, thousands. And these savvy millennials are here to teach us about the value of hard work, hustle, starting early, and taking risks to get ahead. Mikhail and I get into the company's humble beginnings, everything from how they've 100% bootstrapped this venture to date, gone from manual to automation, and the future of engineering automation for solar design. This is one up-and-comer story you won't want to miss. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warrior, you are here because you want to understand not just how you can grow your own career, but look inside the minds of today's best and brightest, the thought leaders, the empire builders, the problem solvers of our industry. I have one here for you today that I think you are going to enjoy. I hope that it creates some feedback and questions because I'd love to see what you think. Mikhail Goffman is the co-founder and CEO of GreenThink Energy. GreenThink is a solar PV design company automating the back-end design and permitting process for residential solar. While the company is a fledgling three years old, they've clearly tapped a pain point in the industry as they now complete thousands of residential solar PV design packages each year and growing. Mikhail is also a listener of Suncast. And when he recently reached out for us to catch up, I realized that theirs is a story other Suncast Solar Warriors could draw value from. So here we are. Mikhail, welcome to Suncast. Hey, Nico. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. Hey, I appreciate you reaching out and always love engaging with Suncast listeners. But more than that, I love engaging with entrepreneurs. Mikhail, tell me, when did it first occur to you that you had this entrepreneurial gene or bug or whatever you might want to call it? I guess I kind of always had it growing up. I just didn't realize it was an entrepreneurial bug. Growing up, I was always a kid that kind of uh, worked full time. Then I would actually take the money I made and go to like estate sales and garage sales in my town and buy and resell things on eBay. 
So I just try to work as much as I can growing up and then go around to use that capital to earn more money. So I kind of didn't realize I was like an entrepreneur. I just kind of just, to me, just kind of made sense to do that, to make as much as I can on the money I've earned. I love it. What was the first thing that you remember saving for that that became like that mission for why you were making money? Probably a PlayStation 2. (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty young back in the day. Growing up, that was like the only thing I cared about. It wasn't even about the money or anything. I'm just like, I strictly need to get this PlayStation. That's it. Yeah. I love it. I have a similar story about it was an ATV. I lived in a, a farm town and every kid had an ATV, a four wheeler. And uh, I just lived for not, not only paying for the gas, but you know, modding it or fixing it all, all the time. So I crashed it. I can identify with that. Do you still have your eBay store open? Yeah, I actually still have my account. So from time to time, if I like, if I'm driving around, and I find something at a, like a garage sale, I'll probably scoop it up and try to resell it. It's kind of just more of a hobby thing for me at this point. I love it. I love it. That's so good. Kind <laughs> of check of you. <laughs> when, yeah. when did it occur to you that there was this energy industry that needed uh, that that was that was calling you? How did you first get exposed to solar power and decide that's where you're going to focus your career? I mean, this is really like the outset of your career. Yeah. So. I was actually an undergrad at Rutgers University, and I was studying mechanical engineering with a specialty in renewables. So I always kind of knew that I wanted to go in that direction. The reason why is that it was it was such a young industry, and there's so it was changing so quickly, and it was so dynamic. So I really wanted to get involved, and I knew I could have a significant change. So right after college, I got an opportunity to work at Solar City as a residential designer for their engineering department. So once I had that opportunity. In context, like roughly what year was that? Yeah. So I finished Rutgers in 2014. And then I had a, I was working at an actual general contracting firm for a couple of months before I got the job offer from Solar City, And that was in the start of 2015. I started working at Solar City. I was put in their New Jersey office and I was doing residential designs for them. So that was kind of my, the start of my career in the solar industry. So you got thrown into the boiler room at Solar City. How many people were in that, uh, in sort of broadly in the design team that was doing these residential designs at the time? Yeah. So I was on the East Coast team out in New Jersey. So in our office specifically, there are about 15, 20 designers. So it was kind of, you learn very, very quickly in that environment because the volume was super high and you had to learn fast and move fast. And that's kind of the environment I've always strived in. So you did that for a year or so. Did you get into increasingly larger projects or, or is it just kind of a machine and you're stuck in the residential side of the business? Yeah, so I was doing that for about eight months and eight months in, I was promoted to be a commercial design engineer. And they moved me down to Pennsylvania, and this was already 2016. And then I started working on projects. Instead of doing residential projects, I started working on projects that were between 50 kW and 2 megawatts. And I was doing all the design work, engineering work, a lot more project management. Uh, It was a much smaller team down there in Pennsylvania. So we kind of wore multiple hats. So you were not just doing the designs anymore. You You were responsible to get the project actually installed. And then while they were actually installing the project, they would call us for advice on what to do, how to install. So you're kind of there from beginning to end. I remember Josh Weiner at Seppi Solar saying one of his greatest learnings was 
the foreman on the site saying, do you see that little line right there? That little tiny, you know, like one millimeter line? That's actually 300 feet. Do you realize how hard it is to actually dig that 300 feet? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that was kind of eye-opening for me as well as a designer because you're kind of behind your computer and then you're kind of, you're drawing things and doing everything in CAD and then someone calls you and they're like, hey, like this is, like what you drew is not going to work. You guys have to change it right now. And like on your computer, it looks great. But when you're on site, it's like a completely different story. Well, it's funny because this is, you know, you're young, not just an entrepreneur, which by nature has this mindset of like, where are the pain points and how can I try to fix them or at least make it easier for myself. But you're, you know, you're young straight out of college at a company that is leading the industry in 2016, you know, Solar City was the largest in the land till pre uh, the Tesla roll up. What sort of observations were you making through that lens of entrepreneurism? So during my time, I, I just remembered that, like you said, Solar City was kind of the number one player in the game at the time. And that I was always thinking like, hey, they're not the only players in the game. There has to be a lot of these small and medium-sized businesses that maybe can't afford to have these full-time, super talented engineers on staff to do all their projects for them. So like the entrepreneur in me was kind of always thinking, I wonder if there's a way I could help these other companies that are still making an impact in the industry, but maybe are not as well-funded as Solar City and don't have the capital to have a team of 30 engineers full-time on staff. At the same time, you were thinking to yourself, I don't want to stay as a project management design lackey at Solar City. You're an infinite learner and you were thinking about getting more education. Is that right? Yeah. So while I was working, I actually applied for graduate school over at Columbia University. And I was in Pennsylvania at the time. And then I actually got accepted. So then that kind of gave me kind of gave me that boost to leave Solar City because I had to go back to New York to attend grad school. So at that point, it kind of gave me that little push I needed to get out of my comfort zone and leave Solar City and go to graduate school and start my own thing. We mentioned in the outset that Green Think Energy is doing design plan sets, helping these smaller contractors with the type of scale that a solar city could bring to a project. Is this something you started as a side hustle at Solar City? Uh, no. So I, uh, I knew I was going to attend graduate school at Columbia in September. So I actually left Solar City three or four months before that because I was like, well, I need to earn some sort of money to survive while in grad school. So I was like, let me just go. I have three or four months. Let me just go all in on something and just kind of see what happens. So that's kind of how Green Think Energy started. Walk me down the path of, of how you evaluated what that I'm going to go all in on something should look like. What, that, what was the lens that you looked at? How many different ideas did you evaluate? Yeah. So I kind of, for me, I kind of, when I pick an idea, I just, I just kind of go all in. So before even doing the engineering design for these smaller contractors, I had the idea of working with uh, municipalities and schools in New Jersey and trying to kind of do some consulting for them and to try to help them build out solar PV projects in my area. So that was the initial idea. And then I contacted my now co-founder, Cyrus, who at the time was looking for a career change as well, kind of told him my idea, told him I was moving back to North Jersey and asked if he was interested in joining me. Luckily he was, so we kind of hit the ground running and we started going to all these schools, municipalities, all these meetings around towns and all over New Jersey, trying to 
convince them to go solar and build out systems and help them with the design and layout and finding the proper contractors. When you started thinking about the idea, I want to start helping these contractors, but I I know I I want it to be able to scale. I can't just sit behind my desk and, you know, crank out a bunch of CAD drawings on my own. Uh, I won't be able to scale that. And by the way, I'll be studying grad school. What were your particular weaknesses or the business model needs that forced you to think, I should probably call Cyrus. And by the way, introduce how you knew Cyrus and what he was doing at the time you called him. Sure. So I actually studied as an undergrad with him over at Rutgers. He was working in biotechnology at the time, but he always had an interest in renewables. I reached out to him because I knew he had an interest in renewables and he was also very, very detail-oriented and he was very good at creating processes. So we knew that eventually we were going to hit higher volumes and you need to create a workflow to sustain that. So he was kind of the perfect person for the job. And then to answer your question, when we first started doing the plan sets, we did about one plan set or two plan sets. And I was kind of up all night just doing it by hand on AutoCAD. And then we kind of were introduced to becoming our own bottleneck very quickly. And what was Cyrus doing while you were doing plan sets? Yeah, so he was building out the entire workflow. He was finding way. We didn't even know how to charge clients, for example. So he was figuring all of that out, uh, building the workflow from our clients being able to request the project to coming in, asking the questions that we need to ask on our intake forms and kind of creating that full flow from project request to project submission. And if the client needed any revisions or changes, creating a process for them to request it as well. Yeah, so we realized that we're kind of hitting, we became our own bottleneck essentially, and that we could only do as many plan tests as quickly as I can do them. And then that's kind of where our third co-founder came in, Christos. He was actually, luckily, my roommate at Rutgers, freshman year of Rutgers as undergrads. And uh, he actually studied computer science and physics. And luckily for us, he was finishing up his master's at Brown University and was kind of looking for the next thing to do. So I figured I'd reach out to him, kind of show him what we're doing and see if there's a way he can automate the work that we were doing. So it will kind of relieve the bottleneck and allow us to scale. How did you as the founder or you and Cyrus as the co-founders think about equity and splitting the pie? We kind of didn't think too much about it. Um, We kind of just split it. I was kind of uh, more in the industry and knew more of the engineering and everything. So I took a little bit more equity. And we also wanted to have one person that can make the final decision if we had to. So there would be no draws in in decision-making. So one of the things with entrepreneurship is that you have to move quickly and make decisions quickly. So we figured that we always wanted to have that one person that's able to make that final decision if there's ever a draw. So I took a little bit more equity because I had a little bit more experience in solar. And then we kind of started going from there. Did you structure the company to be able to raise capital and set aside equity for, for future employees? Did you think that hard about it or, or take advice from others? Or did you just sort of hit the ground running and say, hey, we're just going to split it up like this and we'll dilute all equally moving forward? Yeah, so we kind of just split it up. And then um, we split it with Christos when he joined us as well in 2017. And we kind of hit the ground running. Uh, we always knew that we wanted to bootstrap this company for as long as possible because we kind of wanted to gain some traction before raising any money. We figured that if we hit the ground running and get get some traction, we could always raise money much easier later. 
And also we knew that we were working more as a software company and we'd be able to scale exponentially. So at the time, we kind of thought that we might not even ever have to raise money as a software will kind of take care of us. Because it's a service company and basically you scale based on the customers you're delivering? Yeah, exactly. So we scale based on how much work we're getting, but little do we know that people started to find out about us quickly. So then we went from doing like a handful of projects to hundreds of projects to thousands of projects. So the software had to scale quickly as well. How were people finding out about you? Yeah, so I guess the we when we first started, we were just actually just cold emailing and cold calling everyone. And then we we got a credit card that had no interest for one year and we decided to use it to go to SPI out in Las Vegas. So then we got a booth there and we went to SPI, had a booth, and then that's how people really started to know who we were and what we were all about. It kind of took off from there. So you took a credit card. How much of a limit did they give you? I think it was like $10,000 and I think we maxed it out like immediately. Basically buying and building out the booth and getting yourself there. Yeah, exactly. And it was like no interest for one year. So we're like, we could do this. That's amazing. That's amazing. I've <laughs> the number of times that uh, I've heard that story is uh, it's telling in terms of an entrepreneur really being willing to take the risk, right? Uh, it's, and it's more common than I think folks think credit cards are the unsung hero of American startups these days. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a very high risk, <laughs> but um, it's a path we chose to go down because we were just comfortable with the risk. When you went to SPI, how many customers per month were you getting? After SPI or before? No, before. Before SPI, uh, I think we had maybe like two or three clients and then we were probably doing like at that point, like 20 plan sets a month or something. And post? Post SPI, we got some of our bigger clients and it started going very, very quickly from 20 plan sets to a couple hundred plan sets to three or 400 plan sets. So we had to uh, figure things out very quickly and hire as fast as possible and um, scale the software quickly. So that folks are clear because there's a, there's a lot around design and permitting, et cetera. We talked about some of your contemporaries, you know, I mentioned Seppi Solar, got Pure Power Engineers, um, Rick was on the show. You know, you've got a lot, uh, Green Lancer are designers. You've got Aurora and Helioscope that sort of help automate the sales side of design. Where do you guys fit in the journey, the overall customer journey? Or maybe I'll say, what stage do you get the handoff from your customers? Sure. So uh, you mentioned there's quite a, bit of softwares out there for the sales designs, kind of like the Helioscopes and the Auroras and the Sightins that clients use to actually sell the project. And they do some amazing work to give customers a view of how the solar system is actually going to look on their homes. Once they make that sale and close that deal, it then goes to the contractor who's going to physically install the system on the home. At that point, that's kind of where we hop in. So it's after the sale is made and once it's in the contractor's hands. So you're solving the problem where the contractor now needs to take this design and turn it into a real uh, permittable thing and get that permit. Are you responsible for getting the permit or just the plan set they use to get the permit? Uh, right now, we're just doing the plan set. Once the contractor has the actual sold project, they reach out to us. We kind of create the entire plan set from there. We do the layout, the single line diagram, three line diagram, all the electrical and structural calculations. 
exactly like Green Lancer, you guys, you're the back end fulfillment that gives them a solar city like engineering team without the overhead. Exactly. So why then is your business, and I, I should say like you guys historically have been entirely residentially, residential focused. Why are you able to scale in ways that are beneficial to your customers? And how does that differentiate you in the marketplace? Our biggest thing is that we're scaling our software. So software naturally just scales exponentially. That gives us an advantage over our competitors who might just be hiring uh, more and more engineers or designers because that kind of scales linearly. So we are able to scale as quickly, if not quicker than our clients. And then if they want to grow or go into other states or towns or jurisdictions, we're able to grow with them. Um, and we kind of don't hit that bottleneck where we need to keep hiring more and more and more designers because our software grows very, very quickly and we're always able to keep up. And at present, you are doing hundreds and moving to thousands of designs a month. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, you're getting uh, very close to start hitting that thousands of projects each month. So, How do you as a young CEO handle the pressure of that? What does that feel like for you on a daily basis? I'm lucky, lucky enough that I have two amazing co-founders. So they kind of, we kind of split the stress. So for me, it's just kind of staying grounded, um, not getting too ahead of myself, making sure that uh, everything is done properly, you know, taking a step back from time to time, making sure that the process is correct and that uh, we're always on the same page, that we're growing in a responsible manner. And not just saying, hey, we're going to take 10,000 projects tomorrow, making sure we have an actual proper plan to grow. And how many designers are on your staff handling, like, let's say, 900 designs a month? Yeah, so believe it or not, we're actually a team of six right now. So like I was saying, uh, software scales quite exponentially. So you're doing 30 designs a day, roughly, like 25 to 40 designs a day with six people. And that's including you or that's... Uh, yeah, that's including us. So that's including me and my uh, two co-founders. So you're taking time in the middle of the day to record with me. Who's doing the 30 set plan sets that you didn't do? <laughs> I don't really. Uh, luckily, I'm an efficient. I don't really have to do the plan sets as much anymore. I'll look over them from time to time. It sounds to me like you got a you got an army of three doing about 10 to 15 designs a day. Pretty much, yeah. So my co-founder, Christos, who's our CTO, is always leveling up his software to keep up with the demand. How many designs did you typically do in a day at SolarCity? Uh, me, personally, I was doing four to five designs a day at SolarCity. In the last three years, you've figured out how to triple productivity from your own best practice. What's the key? What's the thing? Like, what's the, I don't know if it's secret sauce, but like, where, where is that? Where is that efficiency being found? Honestly, it's just automation. So right now we've fully automated all the electrical work. So all your single line, three line diagrams, um, your wire sizing, your voltage drops, uh, all that's fully automated. So we're trying to kind of make it instead of an engineering type of job, make it more of a, almost, I guess, a data entry type of job. So uh, we just take what the client's inputs are, put that into our software and get the correct project. It obviously takes time because we do have differences in projects and there's some customization involved, but customization is automatable. It just takes some more time. 
Hey, you know, the vast majority of commercial businesses who want to purchase solar just can't get a cost-effective PPA because they are unrated or below investment grade. But our partner, Energetic Insurance, can help you unlock this huge market opportunity by covering off-taker payment default risk. This enables savvy developers like you and the banks that you like to work with to do more projects and deploy more capital. If you want a fast and simple way to finance your commercial solar projects, even the big complex ones, go to mysuncast.com forward slash energetic and submit your projects today. 70% of projects qualify and the review process is drop dead easy. So go to mysuncast.com forward slash energetic to get started. Hey, are you losing commercial solar sales because of high demand charges that minimize the ROI for your customer? Extensible Energy's Demand X software is an affordable new solution for reducing peak demand charges by 30%. No batteries required. Extensible's intelligent software analyzes solar production, utility rates, weather data, and more. Then it crunches that data, monitors solar and flexible loads, and automatically reduces peak demand spikes, increasing your customer's ROI and decreasing payback time. Head to extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast for a free demand charge analysis for your project and to learn more about Extensible's partner program for commercial solar installers. You can learn more at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. Also, one more quick reminder that on this Giving Tuesday, there are two ways that I'm giving back to you. Number one, I'll be giving away one membership to the suncast guild our inner circle of tribe members only two ways to get an entry to that by joining the suncast tribe mailing list or by taking the listener survey both are easy to find at mysuncast.com and both give you an entry into this giveaway and the second thing is i've decided to give away 30 minutes of clarity coaching for everyone who fills out our coaching application just click on the work with me button and fill out that application. I typically charge $150 for a 30-minute clarity call for folks that are looking for some direction in their career or or whatever they might be uh, seeking in terms of advice. So do take advantage while the offer stands. Coaching applications close on December 15th. So again, back to the comment that we were having, you know, I mentioned the Sepi Solar example where Josh said, hey, that little little one inch is 300 feet. This seems like it could be a slippery slope. Like, where does this start to break down in the application where your designer, you know, one of your three guys moving through 15 designs a day or more misses the real world application? How do you prevent that? Yeah. So, I mean, we have quite a bit. We started building our own like codes and standards that all the designers follow. And then our automations actually give designers warnings when there's something that's potentially uh, wrong or doesn't look quite right. So as we grow, we kind of just try to find these edge cases of mistakes that occur and kind of build them into our database so that the, our designers will be warned each time so it doesn't occur again. Like It sounds very much like Ray Dalio's explanation of how they built the principles into basically the, the software that helps them with trading. I mean, is it similar? I'm not too familiar with uh, that platform. Uh, I would highly recommend then if you if you haven't read the book Principles by Ray Dalio. I think you'll be inspired. You're already doing a lot of the things that 
that he implements at one of the largest uh, hedge funds in the world. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, along that line, uh, since I know you're an infinite learner, one of the things I expect is that you not only have surrounded yourself with smart people, but with smart mentors. What are some key lessons or takeaways for you from the most important uh, mentors in your life and career so far? Um, yeah, so I guess during my time at Solar City, I had some amazing bosses. And the thing about Solar City was that it was a huge company, but it always maintained this startup vibe. So during my time there, I really learned how to be part of this large team, but be able to take on multiple responsibilities at the same time, uh, make sure that everyone feels comfortable and make sure that everyone feels like they're contributing something significant. So being at Solar City really taught me how to um, you know, be part of a team and grow a team. Also, I guess uh, my, my family are uh, immigrants from the former Soviet Union. So they're super, super hardworking people. My mom goes to work at four o'clock in the morning every day, and I don't think she's ever complained once. So I always kind of knew how to put my head down and keep going and never giving up. And uh, yeah, just grinding. Whatever happened to the consulting for munis and schools with their plans? Yeah, so that was like a very big pivot point for us. Um, we actually left that entirely. So we were kind of getting to a point where we were getting all these meetings and talking to all these people and schools and mayors and everything, and everyone was interested, but there was so much bureaucracy involved that to get any project started or completed, it kind of just took too long. And like I said before, we were kind of bootstrapping this thing. So, you know, you needed to earn some revenue as quickly as you can. So just not a sustainable business model. So luckily we had to have the self-awareness to pivot at that point. Do you remember a moment in time where you can look back and say, this is when I really, the light bulb went off. Like we, we're onto something, this is gonna work. Yeah, so um, at that time when we pivoted away working from, with municipalities and townships, I kinda had the idea of doing plan sets for these smaller companies. And we started, um, I started cold emailing, cold calling these companies. And I was still in grad school at the time. And I was actually sitting in class. And one of the companies I emailed finally responded to us. And they're like, yeah, sure. Like, we'll, we'll give you guys a try at that moment. And you were onto something. Because they were like, can you guys get it to, this, to us by tomorrow? So I like, packed up my laptop and left class and uh, went to the nearest Dunkin' Donuts and started working. But uh I was kind of stayed up all night to get it done. But at that moment, I knew we were onto something because someone uh, finally gave us a chance. For those who are not familiar, one of my biggest inspirations in a podcast I constantly reference when people ask me what podcasts I listen to is Guy, uh, Guy Raz has a podcast called How I Built This. If you haven't listened to the episode of uh, one of the founders, the, the lesser known founder of WeWork, the co-working space uh, that you and I both uh, have occupied, he talks about that one of those pivotal moments where the, the dog catches the, the tire, right? And you realize, crap, I'm going to have to stay up all night long, but I'm going to get this done. And, I'm, and, it, and, it, and it is the moment where you go from nothing to everything. Yep, that's exactly right. You kind of, uh, it kind of hits you pretty quickly. I bet you don't look at Dunkin' Donuts the same. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I always say that like our first two offices were Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. So um, when we were first starting out. <laughs> well, you have learned and been through a lot 
in the you know four years of what well, I'll call it adulting and adult entrepreneurship, not this teenage uh, eBay enterprise that you had started you know prior and through college. What advice might you have for others who want to follow in your footsteps, other entrepreneurs maybe that are in the throes of startup life? Honestly, I just say number one is just if you have an idea, uh, if you're young, just go for it. It's okay to fail when you're young enough. Be comfortable. Obviously, every situation, everyone's situation is, situation is a little bit different. So uh, people's risk tolerance is different. But if you have the risk tolerance, then I would say go for it. Um, and make sure it's something you really, really want to do. Like 100%, this is what you have to do. And the other thing is being self-aware. Make sure every entrepreneur wants their startup to succeed or their idea to succeed. But being able to take a step back and saying like, hey, like we've been at this for a year or two and we have like no traction, maybe at that point it's time to think of some other things. I'm not saying give up, but be ready to pivot if you have to. You know, I'll add on to that. There's two things I want to tag on. I'll go in reverse order. The first is I find that many entrepreneurs jump in, but they don't set the milestones upon which they will be able to pull back at 10,000 feet and measure and say, here's where I thought I'd be. I either smashed it or I didn't. And if I didn't, why? How can I, you know, I'll say pivot in quotations and move towards what I think is the new goal if, if we need to set a new goal. And that lack of planning uh, is the death of most companies. The reason that most companies die in the first three years is not because they don't have a good idea. It's because they don't recognize how to set realistic milestones and drive towards them and measure success and set KPIs, et cetera, as though they were in a big company, the way that you learned at Solar City, the way that I learned at, at Trina and Conergy and uh, other companies um, since then. The other I'll say is I really appreciate the filter that you put on having a specific level of risk tolerance. As a young person, especially in college, if there's anything I would tell my 22-year-old self is that you have nothing to lose and literally nothing to fear. There's so much falling up that happens in your 20s. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's like most of, like most of the people listening to this podcast are going to fall up in context, right? And, it, and that, that's in the sense that if you are college educated, uh, or maybe you're not, but if you're the kind of person who can listen to a podcast, probably on a commute to work, you, and, and unless you have five, five mouths to feed and, uh, and you're strapped in debt already and you got to find a way to, 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 have, to have a job uh, make it work, you're going to figure out a way to fund this, even if it's a credit card on one year free interest or interest free, so to speak. The second sort of tacking onto that is even in your late 30s and 40s, as I'm getting into my, I'm turning 40 and on October 6th, it's still not too late. It's more a question, as you said, of mitigating that risk. How do you uh, take the lessons from how Mikhail created this side hustle while studying at undergrad and in graduate school and figure out what your business model is? I love that you took the risks and that you were, you know, you've gone back to this a couple of times. You started cold, cold emailing and cold calling companies. And that tells me a lot about your perseverance and your grit. Because there are folks that just are, are afraid to reach out and take that first step towards a client, whether they, mainly because of navel gazing about whether or not that's, a, if they understand what a client looks like, if they have the right avatar in mind. Mikhail, 
what has you most excited right now about the industry? What are you looking around the corner towards? Um, right now, I think the most popular thing that's up and coming, I guess, is uh, solar plus storage. We're seeing a lot more storage projects on the residential side come up. That's got me really excited because I think there's so many more things you can do with that. You're going to be able to start looking more at microgrids, people able to power their critical loads in case of a blackout. Yeah, so I think storage is kind of the, the next thing right now. Yeah, you guys uh, building in and finding ways to automate the design and deliverability of projects with storage? Yeah, actually, uh, we have a software update that we are releasing very soon that has storage included in it. So we saw that coming for a while now. So we got to work immediately and we're like, we have to be ready for this when it comes. And now it's finally starting to to hit us. Hey, Mikhail, as we round third base, go to home, I'm curious what ways you inform yourself. Do you Are you a reader? Do you get into books a lot? Uh, yeah, I actually read quite a bit. Hmm. Any book in particular that uh, has inspired you or that you gift most often? Yeah, so I would say two. One is uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Mm-hmm. It really teaches you how to think, be present, self-aware. Yeah, it kind of gives you some really great life philosophies. And the other one that's a little bit, is kind of fun to read is uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Kind of teaches you how to just go for it. Don't be afraid. You kind of read the risks that he took and uh, kind of gives you some confidence in yourself. Anything that you have uh, read and immediately turned around and applied to your business? I would say I just started reading The Lean Startup. I haven't finished it yet. I'm still in the middle of it, but just iterating is super, super important, um, especially in our industry and in software, is that I feel like a lot of people, um, they just kind of wait until their final product is ready. You have to realize that's never going to happen. So you just iterate as much as you can, get as much, kind of create a feedback loop, iterate and improve as you go. Well, it takes practice, and I believe that practice and habits are intentional. I'm curious what habit or consistent practice has given you the greatest impact or yield in your work? Yeah, so I realized that keeping myself uh, physically fit really, really affects my mental process. So I make sure that every morning that I go and exercise every single day, no matter what, that's kind of like my cornerstone. I just do that in the morning before I open up any emails, read anything, talk to anyone. I do that, have breakfast, and then I'm usually good to go. Is that at home? Do you go to the gym? Uh, no, I wake up and I go to the gym actually every single morning. So uh, lets me get away a little bit um, and kind of centers me for the rest of the day. Where can folks find more of you and engage with the Green Think Energy team? So I guess our handle at Twitter is at GTE Solar. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And then also our email at info at greenthinkenergy.com. We're a small team. So if you email us, I will probably see it. I will try my best to respond. And we're always looking for new partners and new companies to work with. Well, let's end today as we always do, which you're familiar with by now. Hopefully it doesn't catch you off guard. What is the one thing that you see happening, Mikhail, that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Uh, Yes, I think my bold prediction, uh, I would say, is that Solar shingles, I think, are going to become popular uh, in the next few years. Yeah, (laughs) I throw a curveball there and a lot of people don't believe it, but I think there's a future for it. Maybe not super soon, but I think there is a a future. Well, if anyone will see that happening in real time, it'll be the team at GreenThink Energy as they're doing thousands of 
designs for installation per month. Mikhail Goffman is the co-founder and CEO of Green Think Energy. Today, we've had the pleasure of hearing how this company came to be and some insights into the mind of this young and inspiring entrepreneur. Mikhail, thanks for joining us on Suncast. Thanks for having me, Nico. It was great. Hey there. Thanks for sticking around. I love hanging out with you guys, your outro listeners here at the end of the show. As always, you can find the resources and highlights from this and every discussion along with the social media links, book recommendations, and more on the blog at mysuncast.com. I recently added a big button right to take you straight there. Hey, if you're anything like our friend Mikhail Goffman today, I know that you are dedicated to improving yourself personally and professionally. Well, I'm also committed to continual improvement here on Suncast, so I'd like to invite you to please head over and contribute at mysuncast.com to our first ever listener survey. It really does just take two minutes. I read each and every one of these, and the feedback so far has given me a ton of ideas for next year. As a thank you, I'm going to be drawing at random from survey takers and email subscribers to gift one year of membership to the Suncast Guild. What is the Guild, you might say? Well, that's our inner circle of Suncast listeners, solar warriors that have been getting lots of additional goodies and insight and uh, insider conversations and networking over on our Slack group. And this program is set for some long-awaited upgrades in the coming year. If you're unfamiliar with the Guild, you can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash member. And as a special gift for email subscribers, we are going to continue to run our Black Friday Cyber Monday deal through tomorrow. Friday. So you can get the details by subscribing to the tribe over at mysuncast.com. Both a survey entry and an email subscription will get you into that drawing. And finally, as I've noted earlier, I've decided to give away 30 minutes of clarity coaching for everyone who applies to our coaching program. Just click on the work with Nico button or work with me, I think it says, and fill out an application. I typically charge more than a hundred bucks for this call. So take advantage while the offer stands. Coaching applications do close on December 15th, so go ahead and get one in. Apart from these clarity calls, I will only be accepting three new clients. Take the opportunity while you can. One final thanks to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible, Energetic Insurance and Extensible Energy. You can learn more about both at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. I love you. I do. Hope to hear from you soon. Until next time, remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. 